Chapter Three of the Growth of a Soul. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jan Morehouse, Smith River, California. The Growth of a Soul by August Strindberg, translated by Cloud Field. Chapter Three, Title: The Doctor, 1868 john now found his new home with the homeless the israelites he was immediately surrounded by a new atmosphere here there was no recollection of christianity one neither plagued oneself or others there was no grace at meals no going to church no catechism it is good to be here thought john these are liberal-minded men who have brought the best of foreign culture home without being obliged to take what is bad here for the first time he encountered foreign influences the family had journeyed much had relatives abroad spoke all languages and received foreign guests both the small and great affairs of the country were spoken about and light thrown on them by comparison with their originals abroad by this means john's mental horizon was widened and he was enabled to estimate his native country better the patriarchal constitution of the family had not assumed the form of domestic tyranny on the contrary the children treated their parents more as their equals and the parents were gentle with them without losing their dignity placed in an unfriendly part of the world surrounded by half enemies the members of the family helped each other and held together to be without a native country which is regarded as such a hardship has this advantage that it keeps the intelligence alive and vigorous. Men who are wanderers have to watch unceasingly, observe continually, and gain new and rich experiences, while those who sit at home become lazy and lean upon others. The children of Israel occupy a peculiar and exceptional position from a social point of view. They have forgotten the messianic promise and do not believe in it. In most European countries they have remained among the middle classes to join the lower classes was for the most part denied them though not so widely as is generally believed nor could they join the upper classes therefore they feel related to neither of the latter they are aristocrats from habit and inclination but have the same interests as the lower classes i e they wish to roll away the stone which lies upon and presses them but they fear the proletariat who have no religious sense and who do not love the rich therefore the children of abraham rather aspire to those above them than seek sympathy from those below about this time eighteen sixty eight the question of jewish emancipation began to be raised all liberals supported it and it was practically a discarding of christianity baptism ecclesiastical marriage confirmation church attendance were all declared to be unnecessary conditions for membership in a christian community such apparently small reforms make an impression on the state like the dropping of water on a rock at that time a cheerful tone prevailed in the family the sons having a brighter future in prospect than their fathers whose academic course had been hindered by state regulations a liberal table was kept in the house everything was of the best quality and there was plenty of it the servants managed the house and were allowed a free hand in everything they were not regarded as servants the housemaid was a pietist and allowed to be so as much as she pleased 
she was good-natured and humorous and illogically enough adopted the jesting tone of the cheerful paganism which reigned in the house on the other hand no one laughed at her belief john himself was treated as an intimate friend and a child alternately and lived with the boys his work was easy and he was rather required to keep the boys company than to give them lessons meanwhile he became somewhat spoiled as people who have the usual idea of keeping youth in the background call it though only nineteen he was received on an equal footing among well-known and mature artists doctors literateurs and officials he became accustomed to regard himself as grown up and therefore the setbacks he encountered afterwards were the harder to bear his medical career began with chemical experiments in the technological institute there he obtained a closer view of some of the glories he had dreamed of in his childhood but how dry and tedious were the rudiments of science to stand and pour acids on salts and to watch the solution change colour was not pleasant to produce salts from two or more solutions was not very interesting but later on when the time came for analysis the mysterious part began to fill a glass about the size of a punch-bowl with a liquid as clear as water and then to exhibit in the filter the possibly twenty elements it contained this really seemed like penetrating into nature's secrets when he was alone in the laboratory he made small experiments on his own account and it was not long before with some danger he had prepared a little phial of prussic acid to have death enclosed in a few drops under a glass stopper was a curiously pleasant feeling at the same time he studied zoology anatomy botany physic and latin still more latin to read and master a subject was congenial to him but to learn by heart he hated his head was already filled with so many subjects that it was hard for anything more to enter but it was obliged to a worse drawback was that so many other interests began to vie in his mind with his medical studies the theatre was only a stone's throw from the doctor's house and he went there twice a week he had a standing place at the end of the third row from thence he saw elegant and cheerful french comedies played on a brussels carpet the light gallic humour admired by the melancholy swedes as their missing complement completely captivated him what a mental equilibrium what a power of resistance to the blows of fate were possessed by this race of a southern sunnier land his thoughts became still more gloomy as he grew conscious of his germanic weltschmerz lying like a veil over everything which a hundred years of french education could not have lifted but he did not know that parisian theatrical life differs widely from that of the industrious and thrifty parisian at the desk and the counter french comedies were written for the parvenu of the second empire politics and religion were subject to the censor but not morals french comedy was aristocratic in tone but had a liberating effect on the mind as it was in touch with reality though it did not interfere in social questions it accustomed the public to sympathize with and feel at home in this superfine world one came to forget the lower everyday world and when one left the theatre it felt as though one had been at supper with a friendly duke as chance fell out the doctor's wife possessed a good library in which all the best literature of the world was represented it was indeed a treasure to have all these at one's elbow 
moreover the doctor possessed a number of pictures by swedish masters and a valuable collection of engravings there was an efflorescence of aestheticism on all sides even in the schools where lectures on literature were delivered the conversation in the family circle mostly turned on pictures dramas actors books authors and the doctor felt from time to time impelled to flavor it with details of his practice now and then john began to read the papers political and social life with their various questions opened up before him but at first with a repelling effect as he was an aesthete and domestic egoist politics did not seem to touch him at all he considered it a special branch of knowledge like any other he continued his lessons to the girls and his intercourse with their family outside the house he met grown-up relatives who were tradesmen and their acquaintances his circle was therefore widened and he saw life from more than one point of view but this constant occupation with children had a hampering effect on his development he never felt himself older and he could not treat the young with an air of superiority he already noticed that they were in advance of him that they were born with new thoughts and that they built on where he had ceased when later on in life he met grown-up pupils he looked up to them as though they were the older the autumn of eighteen sixty five had commenced there had been so much miscalculation as to the effects of the new state constitution that there was widespread discontent society was turned topsy-turvy the peasant threatened the civilized town-dwellers and there was a general feeling of bitterness has the last word regarding the agrarian party yet been said probably not it began with a democratic and reforming program and its attack on the civil list was the boldest stroke which had yet been seen it was a legal attempt to overthrow the monarchy if the vote of supply was screwed down to the lowest possible the king would go it was a simple and at the same time a clever stroke at a period which proclaims the right of the majority one would not have expected the peasants cause would encounter resistance sweden was a kingdom of peasants for the country population numbered four millions which in a population of four and a half millions is certainly the majority should then the half million rule the four or vice versa the latter course seemed the fairer now naturally the townsmen talk of the egotism and tyranny of the peasants but have the labor party in the town a single item in their program to improve the condition of the peasants and cottagers it is so stupid to talk of egotism when every one now sees that he profits the whole in proportion as he profits himself meanwhile in eighteen sixty eight the malcontents discovered a party which could be opposed to the constitutional majority and whose program contained all kinds of thoroughgoing reforms that was the new liberal party consisting for the most part of authors some artisans a professor etc by means of this handful of people who had none of the weighty interests which landed property involves and whose social position was so insecure that a single unfavorable harvest could turn them into members of the proletariat it was proposed to remodel society what did the artisans know about society how did they wish it to be constituted did they wish it to be remodeled in their interest although the peasantry should be ruined but that meant cutting off their own legs for sweden is not a land of exporting industries 
therefore the four million consumers in the land as soon as their purchasing power was diminished would involuntarily ruin the industries and leave the artisans stranded that the artisans should advance is a necessity but to wish to make all men industrial workers as the industrial socialists do is much more unreasonable than to make them all peasants as the agrarian socialists propose doing capital which the labor party now attack is the foundation of industry and if that is touched industry is overthrown and then the workmen must go back whence they came and still daily come to the country meanwhile the agrarian party was not yet corrupted by intercourse with aristocrats it was neither conservative nor did it make compromises the war seemed to be between the country and the town the atmosphere was electric, and the smallest cause might produce a thunderstorm. In the capital there prevailed a general desire to erect a statue to Charles the Twelfth. Why? Was this last night of the Middle Ages the ideal of the age? Did the character of the idol of Gustav IV, Adolf, and Charles XV suitably express the spirit of the new peaceful period which now commenced? or did the idea originate as so often is the case in the sculptor's studio who knows the statue was ready and the unveiling was to take place stands were erected for the spectators but so unskilfully that the ceremony could not be witnessed by the general public and the space railed off could only contain the invited guests the singers and those who paid for their seats but the subscription had been national and all believed they had the right to see the arrangements were obnoxious to the people. Petitions were made to have the stands removed, but without success. The crowd began to make attempts to tear them down, but the military intervened. The doctor that day was giving a dinner to the Italian Opera Company. They had just risen from dessert when a noise was heard from the street. It was at first like rain falling on an iron roof, but then cries were distinctly audible. John listened, but for the moment nothing more was to be heard. The wine-glasses clinked amid Italian and French phrases which flew hither and thither over the table. There was such a noise of jests and laughter that those at the table could hardly hear themselves speak. But now there came a roar from the street, followed immediately by the tramp of horses, the rattle of weapons and harness. There was silence in the room for a moment, and one and another turned pale. "'What is it?' asked the prima donna. "'The mob making a noise,' answered a professor." john stood up from the table went into his room took his hat and stick and hurried out the mob the words rang in his ear while he went down the street the mob they were his mother's former associates his own schoolmates and afterwards his pupils they formed the dark background against which the society he had just quitted stood out like a brilliant picture he felt again as though he were a deserter and had done wrong in working his way up but he must get above if he was to do anything for those below. Yes, many had said that, but when once they did get above, they found it so pleasant that they forgot those below. These cavalrymen, for instance, whose origin was of the humblest, what airs they gave themselves, with what unmixed pleasure they cut down their former comrades, though it must be confessed they would have even more enjoyed cutting down the black hats. He went on and came to the market-place the stands for the spectators stood out against the november sky like gigantic market booths and the space below swarmed with men from the opening of the arsenal street the tramp of horses was heard only a short way off then they came riding forth 
the blue guardsman the support of society on whom the upper class relied john was seized with a wild desire to dash against this mass of horses men and sabres as though he saw in them oppression incarnate that was the enemy very well at them the troop rode on and john stationed himself in the middle of the street whence had he derived this hatred against the supporters of law and order who some day would protect him and his rights after he had clambered up and was in a position to oppress others if the mob with whom he now felt his solidarity had had their hands free they would probably have thrown the first stone through the window behind which he had sat with four wine-glasses in front of him certainly but that did not prevent his taking their side just as the upper class often inconsistently enough takes sides against the police this mania for freedom in the abstract is probably the natural man's small revolt against society he was going against the cavalry with a vague idea of striking them all to the ground or something of the sort when fortunately someone seized him by the arm firmly but in a friendly way he was brought back to the doctors who had sent out to seek for him after he had given his word of honour not to go out again he sank on a sofa and lay all the evening in fever on the day of the unveiling of charles the twelfth's statue he was one of the student singers therefore among the elect the upper ten thousand and had no reason to be discontented with his lot when the ceremony was over the people rushed forward the police forced them back and then they began to throw stones the mounted police drew their sabres and struck arresting some and assaulting others john had entered the market in front of the jacob's church when he saw a policeman lay hold of a man under a shower of stones which knocked off the constable's helmets without hesitation he sprang on the policeman seized him by the collar shook him and shouted let the fellow go the policeman looked at his assailant in astonishment who are you he asked irresolutely i am satan and i will take you if you don't let him go he actually did let him go and tried to seize john at the same instant a stone knocked off his three-cornered hat john tore himself loose the crowd were now driven back by bayonets towards the guard's house in the gustav adolf market after them followed a swarm of well-dressed men obviously members of the upper classes shouting wildly and as it seemed resolved to free the prisoners john ran with them it was as though they were all impelled by a storm-wind men who had not been molested or oppressed at all, who had high positions in society, rushed blindly forward, risking their position, their domestic happiness, their living, everything. John felt a hand grasp his. He returned the pressure and saw close beside him a middle-aged man, well-dressed, with distorted features. They did not know each other, nor did they speak together, but ran hand in hand, as if seized by one impulse they came across a third in whom john recognized an old schoolfellow subsequently a civil service official son of the head of a department this young man had never sided with the opposition party in school but on the contrary was looked upon as a reactionary with a future in front of him he was now as white as a corpse his cheeks were bloodless the muscles of his forehead swollen and his face resembled a skull in which two eyes were burning they could not speak but took each other's hands and ran on against the guards whom they were attacking the human waves advanced till they were met by the bayonets and then as always dispersed in foam half an hour later john was discussing a beefsteak with some students in the opera restaurant he spoke of his adventure as though it were something which had happened independently of him and his will nay he even jested at it 
that may have been fear of public opinion but also it may have been the case that he regarded his outbreak objectively and now quietly judged it as a member of society the trap-door had opened for a moment the prisoner had put his head out and then it had closed again his unknown fellow-criminal as he discovered later was a pronounced conservative a wholesale tradesman he always avoided meeting john's eye when they met after this one time they met on a narrow pavement and had to look at each other but did not smile while they were sitting in the restaurant came the news of the death of blanche the students took it fairly coolly the artists and middle-class citizens more warmly but the lower classes talked of murder they knew that he had personally besought charles the fifteenth to have the spectator stands taken down they knew also that though he was very prosperous himself he had always thought of them and they were thankful stupid people objected as is usual in such cases that it required no great skill on his part to speak on behalf of the poor when he was rich and celebrated did it not it required the greatest it is remarkable that the chief outbreak of discontent was directed not as elsewhere against the king but against the governor and the police charles fifteenth was a persona grata he could do as he liked without becoming unpopular he was neither condescending nor democratic in his tastes but rather proud stories were told of some of his favorites having fallen into disgrace for want of respect on some mirthful occasion he could put tobacco into his soldiers mouths but he scolded officers who did not at once fall in with his moods he could box people's ears at a fire and did not laugh when he was caricatured in a comic paper as was supposed he was a ruler and believed he was also a warrior and a statesman he interfered in the government and could snub specialists with a you don't understand that but he was popular and remained so swedes who do not like to see a man's will slackening admired this will and bowed before it it was also strange that they forgave his irregular life perhaps it was because he made no secret of it he had laid down a standard of morality for himself and lived according to it therefore he lived at harmony with himself and harmony is always pleasant to contemplate people might be revolters by instinct but they did not believe in the transition form to a better social constitution i e a republic they had seen how two french republics had been followed by new monarchies there were secret anarchists but no republicans and they had persuaded themselves that the monarchy offered no barrier to the progress of liberty these were the ideas of the younger man the elder men with blanche thought a republic the only means of social salvation and therefore in our days the old liberal school has become conservative republican when the doctor saw that his wife's literary books threatened to encroach upon john's medical studies he resolved to give him a glimpse into the secrets of his profession and to allow him such a foretaste of real work as should entice him to overcome the tedious preliminary studies which he himself thought too extensive john now knew more chemistry and physics than the doctor and the latter thought it was merely malicious to hinder a rival's course by imposing too hard preliminary studies why should he not as in america commence dissection which was a special branch of study now after the theoretical study of anatomy he could begin practice as an assistant that was a new life full of variety and reality one went for instance into a dark alley and came into a porter's room where a woman lay sick of fever surrounded by poor children the grandmother and other relations who stole about on tiptoe awaiting the doctor's verdict 
the malodorous ragged bedcover would be lifted a sunken heaving chest exposed to view and a prescription written then one went into the Tavadsgardsgatten and was conducted over soft carpets through splendid rooms into a bedchamber which looked like a temple one lifted a blue silk coverlet and put in splints the leg of an angelic-looking child dressed in lace on the way out one looked at a collection of paintings and talked about artists this was something novel and interesting but what connection had it with titus livius and the history of philosophy but then came the details of surgery one was roused at seven o'clock in the morning came into the doctor's dark room and manually assisted at the cauterizing of a syphilitic sore the room reeked of human flesh and was repugnant to an empty stomach or he had to hold the patient's head and felt it twitch with pain while the doctor with a fork extracted glands from his throat one soon gets accustomed to that said the doctor and that was true but john's thoughts were busy with goethe's faust wieland's epicurean romances george sand's social fantasies chateaubriand's soliloquies with nature and lessing's common-sense theories his imagination was set in motion and his memory refused to work the reality of cauterizations and flowing blood was ugly aestheticism had laid hold of him and actual life seemed to him tedious and repulsive his intercourse with artists had opened his eyes to a new world a free society within society they would come to a well-spread table where cultivated people were sitting with badly fitting clothes black nails and dirty linen as if they were not merely equal but superior to the rest in what they could scarcely write their names they borrowed money without repaying it and their talk was coarse everything was permitted to them which was not permitted to others why they could paint they studied at the academy and the academy did not ask whether all who enrolled themselves as students were geniuses how was it known that they were geniuses was painting greater than knowledge and science they also had as was well recognized a peculiar morality of their own they opened studios hired models and boasted of their paramours while other men were ashamed of theirs and incurred disapproval on account of them they laughed at what were very serious matters for other men nay it seemed to be part of an artist's equipment to be a scoundrel as any one else would be called for similar conduct that was a glad free world thought john and one in which he could thrive without conventional fetters or social obligations and above all without contact with banal realities but he was not a genius how should he get the entree to it should he learn to paint and so be initiated no that would not do he had never thought of painting that demanded a special vocation he thought and painting would not express all he had to say when once he began to speak if he had to find a medium for self-expression it would be the theatre an actor could step forward and say all kinds of truths however bitter they might be without being brought to book for them that was certainly a tempting career end of chapter three recorded by jan morehouse smith river california